This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From parking space number five of our contactless grocery pickup, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Kyle. And I'm at the Home Depot. Were we supposed to go to the grocery store? <laughs> yeah, just hit the button on your app, Kyle. Sorry, guys. And today on the podcast, our interview with Rusty Captain David Eaton. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots, and tell a friend. We really, really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have 10 news items for you today. First up, filming of the 2020 season of BattleBots wrapped up last week, with builders from multiple teams praising the producers and crew for keeping the entire production safe without an outbreak of COVID-19. The production team accomplished this by requiring multiple COVID tests before and during filming, mandatory masks and social distancing inside the building. Going into this season, BattleBots co-creators Greg Munson and Trey Roski both said their top priority was keeping the builders and production team safe. Now that they've succeeded, the task now turns to getting the show ready for its season premiere on the Discovery Channel which will likely happen sometime in December. I, I just like to comment that I still don't blame the people that, you know, chose to not thrust themselves into the scenario because it was all, there was some uncertainty up front, but, you know, I, I understand they did take all the precautions, but. Yeah, I mean, like the the upside is that you uh, compete on BattleBots and the downside is that uh, you die. So, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, uh, I or you it. Or you bring home something that kills, you know, your grandparents or your family members. Like, it's not yeah. good. Yeah. I, I totally understand people not willing to take that risk. I'm also totally appreciative of the people that did take that risk. Yes. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I get it. it there's, there's definitely kind of a, a no win scenario there. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I think, I think the, the big unknown when they started the filming was, you know, we just have to get people safely to the end because it would be disastrous if, like week two, there was an outbreak of COVID and they couldn't complete the filming and they had to send a bunch of builders to the hospital. It's just like a terrible look. Like it, it, for, for, for them to accomplish this and to do it so safely with hundreds of people in the building um, is really just 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 a, a, a pretty pretty significant feat of logistics. Um, so I mean, hats off to, to them. Let's just say it. 500 builders in a warehouse kept it safer than the White House. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's pretty true. impressive. Pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to say we should, uh, we should nominate uh, Greg Munson for, uh, you know, the country's COVID task force. I appreciate that. He'll be more popular than the current guy in charge. <laughs> On a programming note, we got confirmation this week that BattleBots pit reporter, Jenny Taft 
has returned to the 2020 season of the show. On Instagram, Jenny writes, quote, this community is so special. I've loved getting to know the builders and I'm so grateful that they've welcomed me back with open arms. Kyle, I know that uh, this was a big question uh, going into, into this season. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Jenny Taft re returning as a pit reporter. Jenny Taft was the best part of BattleBots moving to Discovery. She's a true journalist. Um, her pit commentary is awesome because she's obviously knowledgeable about sports and competition, but she's not knowledgeable about robots. So like her asking questions of these builders was really accessible for the fans. Um, and there was a big question about whether or not she was coming back for this season. You know, there was some question about whether or not the discovery side of things wanted her. And like, you know, I'm really glad that everybody could make it work and that she could make it work with her schedule. I know, you know, the NFL is a big part of her business. So um, I'm really glad to hear that she's there. That's going to make the pit reporting so good this season. Meanwhile, we learned this week that longtime builder Pete Abramson is stepping out from behind the camera and will appear as part of the on-camera broadcasting team this season. Pete writes, quote, Thank you to all the builders. Without your tireless designing slash building slash fighting slash repairing, we wouldn't have a show as epic as this. Thank you for trusting me with your secret plans and designs that help me sound like I know what I'm talking about. This season, BattleBot set up what it's calling the Strategy Discussion Zone, where builders can sit down privately with Pete to talk about fight strategy. Additionally, BattleBots listed a new position on its on-air broadcast talent team of a, quote, bot builder commentator, a role that we're speculating is being filled by Pete. Fans of the original run of BattleBots know Pete for his bot Ronin. Fun fact, outside of the show, Pete works as a mechanical designer at Applied Invention, the engineering firm that's home to Chomp Captain Zoe Stevenson and her husband, Yasha Little. Applied Invention's best-known project is arguably the 10,000-year clock that's currently being built in partnership with the Long Now Foundation, whose executive director is Bronco Captain Xander Rose. Chris, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on, on Pete and uh, kind of expanding the, the broadcasting team to talk more about strategy. Uh, first of all, let's throw it back to the strategy discussion zone. Of course, that is one of the coolest places I remember from the 90s to hang out as a kid. Yeah, yeah. What 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 did what did you talk about inside of the strategy discussion zone? Easy strategy discussion zone where kids could build robots and do some stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, we should we should license the song to Badbots. I, I feel like they they need to hear that. It was really hard to build the robots on the rope bridge. <laughs> I I heard uh, Will Bell's peed in the ball pit. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> No, it, it's it's cool. I, I'm glad that they're that they're expanding some of the commentary to kind of look at all the different facets of, you know, uh, of, of 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 coverage. Um, I think that it might also have something to do with you know with with less builders, with less fights. Um, maybe they're also looking to help you know kind of fill out those hours. But you know, as a as an avid fan of the robot building community, I'm I'm of course I'm more excited to. Uh, to to get a little bit more of a closer look and actually have someone there, you know, you know, also like, you know, helping us kind of put on the the, the hat of what it what it's like to be a builder, you know, in and and what they're going through and and to provide some of that commentary. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'm really looking forward to to getting a deeper technical dive into the breakdown of a fight, and I'm really hopeful that 
you know, Pete can can give that extra color commentary. Um, there's so many times where you see a fight and uh, the builders know what they're watching and um, the fans are kind of confused. Like, how did that happen? Like, why does Tombstone drive that way? You know, like, how does um, how does Chomp work? You know, and um, and Chris and Kenny do such a great job. Um, and adding a third person, I think, to really go deep is going to be cool. I'm really uh, excited to have him there just because of what a great job he did at the Amazon Remars event. Yeah. Um, that was, to my mind, the highlight of the actual production of that show was the Pete segments. So I'm really glad he's going to be there. And also, did you guys see that jacket? It's sweet. Yeah, the bot whisperer. Yeah, so cool. And with the Ronin symbol on the back, love mm. it. Yeah. Speaking of Zoe and Chomp, the team this week revealed that its 500-pound walker bot will feature dual flamethrowers, just in case you weren't already incredibly hyped for this robot. Additionally, the team posted our most complete look at the bot yet, which is so heavy it needs to be transported on a modified outdoor farm pallet jack. Kyle, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on on, uh, on kind of like the full reveal, or I guess the most the most uh, revealing shots that, that we've seen so far. What what am I looking at? Uh, what are you looking at? A marvel of engineering that I guarantee you is going to be much more durable than people think. Um, I, this thing is so pretty. I mean, so I was wrong. It doesn't look like there's a big old plow wedge on the those two mounting plates. It looks like there's just more armor panels up there. Mm. Maybe they have plow attachments, but where are they going to get the weight from? This thing looks massive. Um, I love it. I love the flamethrowers. I love the fact that it's basically two separate robots stacked on top of each other. I can't wait to see this team driving. Um, I hope that they break everything. I hope they break all of the other robots. On over to the weird and wonderful world of BattleBots team swag. Copperhead teammate Luke Quinn posted a photo of the stickers he's collected this season from teams in the pits. I want to talk about a couple teams specifically, starting with Las Vegas-based Jackpot, which gave out no less than five stickers, a miniature version of its robot's blade, a branded poker chip, and a keychain with their logo. We'd also be remiss if we didn't talk about the very long, almost obnoxiously long sticker from New York-based Smee. It's easily a foot long, probably longer, and I love it. I want one. Unquestionably, however, the best sticker at 2020 BattleBots, at least in my opinion, has to be from David Eaton, who brought a black and white sticker of Rusty, looking ominous with glowing eyes and a sledgehammer. Chris, thoughts on this season's stickers? Uh, probably like the hottest commodity in BattleBots, seeing how none of us went and uh, they're impossible to get. Um, what, what, what did you think uh, seeing, seeing these stickers? Yeah, it's like the uh, the stickers are like the backstage currency of of BattleBots, the COVID currency, if you will. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's almost like uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. A sticker uh, or two might even get you a bottle of water uh, <laughs> or a, a handful of bullets, maybe a maybe a speed controller. Uh, yeah. And that's that's really the economy that's functioning uh, completely out of sight, out of mind from the show. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like if, if we were in 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 uh, Mad Max worlds, uh, you could use a Smee sticker as a tourniquet, you know, uh, in a pinch. Like that thing is massive. Yeah, two of them, and you got a pair of suspenders. 
Yeah. Uh, my big question is, uh, will it fit, fit on the front of a MacBook? Or are you going to have to cut that thing in half? You know, because uh, it it's long. It's uh, it's real long, and I like it. Could, it. it could wrap around the front and cover the screen. Great, great. Speaking of very wide bots, we got a closer look at the massive blade on hijinks, which the team says clocks in at four and a half feet long. If you tip it up, that's roughly shoulder height for team captain Jen Herkenroder, who is five foot four. We've talked about big things. Now let's talk about small things. Sub-Zero Captain Logan Davis is getting in on the miniaturized bot game, building a 150 gram version of his flipper bot, which he took to this year's competition. We've seen a couple of miniaturized bots this year, notably a tiny version of Jackpot. Very cool update now to a continuing story. We now know the identity of the wealthy benefactor who purchased Charco this season, Norwalk Havoc organizer, Austin McCord. Austin is the founder of the Connecticut-based data backup company, Datto, which he sold in 2017 for more than $1.5 billion. Combat Robotics fans know him for Norwalk Havoc, which puts on monthly Beetleweight competitions with cash prizes. Austin is currently building a permanent 30-pound combat robotics arena in Norwalk, where Sharko will live as the arena's house robot. Fun fact, Austin and a couple of his friends hold a Guinness World Record for building the world's biggest pair of googly eyes. Chris, uh, you were the one who uh, turned us on to Norwalk Havoc first. I feel like uh, you probably went to first, maybe the second uh, one and dragged us all uh, there before we even started the podcast. Um, thoughts on Sharko finding a permanent home in Connecticut? Oh, I'll just say this about Austin. Um, you know, he he's definitely looking at this like a, a, like a, like a business move, a branding move. Um, you're, you're buying a, uh, a nostalgia bot that, you know, kind of has this really cool history with the, the sport itself. And it's like, um, it's like, uh, buying a, a soda brand that, uh, has, uh, you know, been sunset and you, you know, kind of reinvigorate the brand and you get to do whatever you want with it. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's like, he's building, he's buying that brand identity. He's bringing it to Norwalk. He's got a really good formula there. It's like a really cool place to hang out. Like you go, doesn't cost you any money at the door. There's coffee and snacks and the builders, you get to hang out with them. And it's just like, it's a, it's a, an incredible facility that he's built. And I think that he, um, he recognizes the enthusiasm, uh, but now he just like wants to start getting uh, more traction and, and draw more attention to the, to the scene there in Norwalk and, and, and building that that 30 pound arena is um, uh, quite the endeavor. So he wants to make sure that the you know he's he's also bringing the clout, and that's why I think he bought Sharko and um, you know just to, just to have you know a piece of the television show just right there every single month uh, that they're going to be putting on an event or even more frequently. I'm not sure yet, but um, I think that that was a pretty wise move, and I'm really really looking forward to seeing. Uh, you know, uh, what he builds there in Norwalk. I would absolutely love it if we had some kind of monthly 30-pound event. It's it's a permanent 30-pound box in the Northeast. What else could you ask for? Yeah. Something is, is certainly afoot in Connecticut. And um, I've put feelers out, uh, and I asked Austin to come on the show. He hasn't responded to me. So if uh, you're friends with Austin, and uh, you can put in the good word for us, you know, nudge him for us. Um I, I'm really curious to see what the ultimate vision of this is. I feel like the 30 pound box is um, maybe a stepping stone to building a permanent 
heavyweight arena at some point in Connecticut. The idea that we could have Motorama class 30 pound, you know, events every month, I think is pretty cool. The idea that we now have a, a home where you can see a real battle bot. Um, you know, you can take your kids to see Sharko, I think is really cool. Um, just his whole, his whole kind of ethos is cool, you know, like started a, started a company in college, ran it for 10 years, sold it, cashed out and is now building like really kind of delightful things in this, uh, kind of a <laughs> mad, mad laboratory happening on uh, 50 day street, you know? On over to rookie heavyweight Tracer, which unveiled that it is bringing a mini bot to the competition called Needle, which kind of looks a little like a smaller version of Smee with two very long ground scraping forks on the front. Now that's their serious mini bot. The team is also bringing a joke mini bot to the competition called Clean Cut that is literally a robotic vacuum cleaner with an undercutter saw blade. But whatever you do, don't call it a Roomba. This vacuum cleaner is made by San Jose-based Nido Robotics, which is one of Tracer's sponsors this year. Kyle, uh, thoughts on them bringing a robotic vacuum cleaner as a minibot? I love everything about it. I hope it looks like it has some bite. Yeah. Um, based on that video, you know, it, it could probably break somebody's tire. Uh, I'm really excited about the idea. I... Um, used to love when ghost raptor would talk about the Nido robots coming into the arena after their matches to clean up after the fights uh and now i like that Nido is sponsoring this robot and they're actually going to bring the Nido robot into the robot or into the battle box during the fights way better way better idea way more fun um Chris, I, I, I know we haven't talked about this. I know we text all the time, but um, Chris and Lindsay, they uh, very generously <laughs> let me borrow their Roomba because my, um, my like knockoff Roomba, not even as nice as Nido Robotics, like I'm talking about like an OEM <laughs> Roomba from China, um, died. And uh, Chris, the Roomba is fantastic. Like I, I, I have been like living with this, this other vacuum cleaner for the longest time, but the Roomba, it's a game changer. And, um, you know, when, when you look at it, you think to yourself, Boy, maybe I could strap something to that, you know? And uh, they actually did. <laughs> and I I really hope that we see it uh, on TV. And um, yeah, kind of, a, kind of see a robotic vacuum cleaner explode. I think it would be pretty cool. Talk about a return of investment for a sponsorship, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the, you sponsor BattleBot. BattleBot literally puts your product in the arena with them while they're fighting. That would be awesome. I'm really stoked about Tracer. I think that uh, Jason and his team, they're pretty smart. And um, I, I'm, I, I think that this is the rookie bot to watch. I think yeah. that Tracer will very likely make the top 16. That's my prediction. Um, what do I you mean, guys just, think Needle does? And did he explain that? Like, what does Needle do? I, I think that it's the, it's the forks in the front that really kind of like trap a bot, like try and kind of high center a bot because they're so long, they can kind of get underneath a bot and and try and pull its its wheels slightly off of the ground. Maybe, you know, the front two wheels or something like that. Do they like um, widen out? Like do they get under the bot and then do like they spring out? Or like do they just get under and like just try to hold the bot? Is it basically a, a forky wedge bot? I'm not sure. You know, that's a good question. Um, 
it, it had some like interesting attachments too on the front. And I think that we saw yeah. a render, you know, like in the photo, I don't know if we saw the actual, actual bot. Um, but it's an interesting design. Tracer is an interesting design. There's like some interesting thinking behind this bot. And um, I'm just, I'm super stoked to see it. Um, yeah, the theory is really cool. I can't wait to see it in practice for sure. Yeah. And finally, I'd like to close out the news with a non-combat robotics related item. Lego is updating its line of Lego Mindstorms robots for the first time in seven years with the launch of Robot Inventor, which features all the parts necessary to build five different robots. The kit costs $360 and is currently for sale. Thanks to Nelly the Elliebot Captain Sarah Mollian for the news tip. If you've bought the kit and want to tell us what you think, drop us a line, Paul Ventimiglia. Chris, uh, <laughs> I know that you're like our, our resident Lego Mindstorms fan. Uh, are you thinking about buying this kit? You know, uh, I know that you've you've dropped some serious cash on Mindstorms in the past. <laughs> of all of the news that we did today, this is the item that gets the air horn. Really, seriously. <laughs> oh, that's a, so obscene. I hate it. <laughs> I am so excited that they're resurrecting Lego Mindstorms. You cannot even begin to wrap your head around how many hours of my life I have spent sitting like, you know, with my with my legs like tucked under me and just on the living room floor watching the Matrix and playing with Lego Mindstorms and building robots. Uh, my cousin and I, we used to have fighting robot shows that we would like record. Uh, all, our robots were all terrible, of course, uh, but, uh, well, his were substantially better, but he, he was also an adult. Um, but, you know, like it was just hours and hours and hours of fun. And the fact that they're bringing it back and they're, they're investing the time and, and hopefully building the product up again and like all of the peripherals that'll go with it. I'm just like, I'm so excited. And I'm so excited that I'm just gonna drop it out here. Uh, we'll be having in the same vein, a very interesting giveaway. Uh, more details to come, of course, in an episode a little bit closer to the airing of the season, but it's gonna be something that uh, y'all will definitely wanna check out. So just uh, just take some of my enthusiasm, take a look online, see some of the kits that have come out in the past, and 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 definitely check out uh, some of the you know the new information coming out about the new Mindstorms kit. It's awesome. Chris, I I always struggle to to buy a Christmas gift for you every year. Have you already purchased this kit, or at slash? Do you think that you could wait until Christmas Day if I was to purchase this for you? I, uh, I'm right now going to just start putting pieces together and build what looks like my own uh, new Lego Mindstorms kit. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll, I'll check in with you in, in December and uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe you'll you'll have a, a large Lego box under the, uh, the tree, which would be great. And uh, that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Rusty Captain David Eaton. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Rusty Captain David Eaton. Rusty is a 250-pound rookie hammerbot from the Midwest, equipped with a modular weapon system capable of running a sledgehammer, 
or an air-powered jackhammer. This is unquestionably the early favorite among the combat robotics community, having already sparked fan art, memes, and a song from Nelly the Ellibot Captain Sarah Mollian. We are looking forward to learning more about this robot and learning more about David. So welcome to the show, David. Very glad to be here, guys. I am so stoked to have you here. Um, and I'm so happy that you were able to, to join us after driving across the country. Uh, so I'm curious, how, how, long was the, uh, how long was the journey? When, when did you get in um, from, from California? So let me think. It was over two weeks ago. I'd left uh, Friday morning. Uh, round trip, which includes my driving around while I was in California, was right about 5,325 miles. Uh, so that was exciting. And uh, I just got home probably about an hour ago. No. And, uh, I did. And I got to drive through about, um, I don't know, I think it was about, it was like six to seven hours. I was driving through a snowstorm. I was chasing it on the way back. <laughs> oh, my God. David, so you you literally walked in the door. <laughs> you probably haven't even unpacked your uh, your suitcases and, uh, and you're, nope. you're calling in to talk to us. Yes, I was super excited to talk to you guys, and I did not want to delay. <laughs> so I walked in the door and sat on the couch and lit up my phone. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. That's so great. Um, I'm curious, how, how was the drive? You know, have, have you driven out to California before? Like, is this, uh, is this your first cross-country trip? You know, uh, I, uh, it was my first cross-country trip. I've done a lot of uh, long stints for work where I would drive, you know, 10 hours, 12 hours. Um, the drive out there, I want to say I got in, uh, I want to say the first stint was like 16 hours and the second was 12. So uh, I was kind of building up to the uh, last second and got everything loaded up in the truck. Luckily, luckily, I didn't have to rely on, uh, I've got a myriad of uh, old vehicles. I luckily didn't have to rely on an old truck, which was great because uh, I'd never driven through the mountains. And it was uh, not only nice to have something that could climb the hills, but something with reliable brakes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. So it was. It was. I mean, it was. It was breathtaking for me. I, you know, I've never really been up in the mountains and stuff before. Uh, I've watched a lot of westerns in my days, but I felt like I was living them for a little while as I was driving through Utah and stuff. It was beautiful out there, especially you know when I got out to California and everything. I was like, ah, it is just like in the movies. <laughs> Yeah, that's so cool. Um, so wait, what what route did you take? Like, did you uh, did you cut like straight across, like a like as a diagonal? Did you go like kind of the northern route, the southern route? You know, I I went the uh, northern route. So I'm coming from I'm about an hour north of Chicago. So I think it was eighty seventy fifteen were the main routes, and so I went uh, uh, I went to Denver, and then I went through uh, the mountains which is, I want to say that's 70 or I can't remember, but uh, I went through by uh, like Vail and stuff like that, the big ski resorts. Um, and then I pretty much cut across uh, after getting out of uh, Colorado down to uh, Vegas. So I drove through Vegas and then uh, over into California. Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. That's really great. And that's a really great route too. I mean, you, you see so much of the country. Um, yeah. That, that I drive got Colorado is so cool. Yes, it, it was. It was awesome going through Colorado. And I, I was chuckling because as I'm going along, you know, it was like, especially on the trip back, it was like I went from like upper 90s, you know, to like mild, like 70s and stuff, fall, beautiful fall weather, the colors and changing and everything. And it was like, by the time I got back here, I was like, oh, I'm right into winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I saw I saw the photo that you posted of the truck and it's just like uh, just just covered in ice and snow. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it looked treacherous, but I'm I'm glad that you were able to get back safely. 
Um, Thank you. Yeah, I, I I would love to uh, to 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 learn more about you. Like I'd love to, you know, because like my introduction, I feel like is uh, woefully inadequate. So, um, can you tell us more about yourself? You know, like um, where are you from? What do you do? Like who are you? Uh, why BattleBots? You know, like how uh, how how did uh, how did you make the decision? You know, to uh, to build a robot this this year? You know, kind of all of the above. Yeah, let's. Uh, so I, I like I said, I did grow up uh, Antioch, Illinois, like right over the border in uh, Wisconsin, and Trevor's parents' farm. Uh, so I spent most of my time growing up uh, working around the farm and stuff like that. That's largely where I got into like a lot of my hands-on stuff, you know, equipment, tractors, trucks, toys, you know, scooters, all that kind of, all that kind of, you know, all the expensive hobbies besides battlebots. And uh, <laughs> uh, growing up there, um, I ended up going after I graduated high school. I went to a local college, transferred from there, went to uh, Northern Illinois University, where I got a uh, mechanical engineering degree. And uh, from there, I went to work for a forklift company for two years. Uh, from the forklift company, I went to work for a mining company called CMake Techberg. Uh, worked there for three years. And it's actually kind of funny because it worked out that I was like, how am I going to get all this time off to go to BattleBots? It worked out that I kind of worked out that I was actually uh, switching jobs. So I'm going to work with a new company um, called Durex, which does a lot of uh, thermal uh, uh, temperature sensors and stuff like that, heat plates. Um, mm. I actually uh, left the job at CMake Techberg and have been, we'll put in quotations, unemployed over the course of BattleBots. And now tomorrow, I actually start a new job. So uh, very exciting there, career-wise, uh, <laughs> you know. But uh, it was one way to kind of like find a, find a gap where I could get out the battle bots. Um, what else about me? Um, hmm. I'm I'm a pretty normal person. I have a lot of pets. I love animals. Uh, we've got uh, two cats, a rabbit, and two dogs. Um, well. I guess technically Julie's pointing at herself. I guess they're technically Julie's cats, <laughs> but, uh, um, we, uh, my parents' farm is actually a horse farm. So I spend uh, most of the time there bailing hay for them. That's where I spend a lot of my time in the summer is, uh, stacking lots and lots of hay. So that's, that's exciting. Um, the, uh, other interesting tidbit is that's actually largely where Rusty was sourced from was the parents' farm. That's where a lot of his parts and materials came from. Ooh, what else about me? Um, I don't know. You guys got any, any, any interesting, uh, I'm trying to think what's an interesting fact about me. I guess I'm pretty normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, this, this is a good segue into our first listener question, um, from Adrian Susino. Uh, he has a two part question first. Uh, what was it like winning BattleBots? Uh, I know that you're under NDA, so, um, so we can't talk about that. But second part of the question is, but seriously, how did you get involved in the sport to begin with? So uh, how did you get roped into the world of combat robotics? So actually, this does kind of go back, and we'll, I will try not to jump into some of the other information, but it's, um, this goes way back to when I was a kid. I've always kind of been interested in doing combat robotics and stuff, and I've always wanted to do it. And uh, I know we always chuckle about the cost of combat robotics, especially heavyweights, and um I was something where I was like, I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. And I didn't ever really have the time or the uh, resources to do it. And uh, as I've gotten older and I've been working, um, I was like, you know, I've always wanted to, you know, I've always seen BattleBots on TV and uh, I've always been looking around to get into it. And then um, I ended up just one day, I was like, you know what? There's no time like the present. Right. So I was like, well, I'm just going to start building a robot. And then 
I started kind of trying to like reach out and that's when I went on the BattleBots website and I realized that they kind of had open applications to everybody. And I was like, aha, this is it. You know, <laughs> if, if I, it's something that uh, I can, I can apply to myself. So that's when I started getting a hold of, you know, like Greg and stuff like that. I started sending out applications and, um, it was, it was always difficult because I was always like, am I ever going to be able to really get into it? Is it, am I ever going to really be able to break through the door and stuff? Because, you know, you see a lot of these like big names, these legends and stuff like that. And we go over this a lot um, that have been doing it for so long. And there's a ton of people in the field. And uh, so I just, like I said, I, I just was like, it's something I've always wanted to do. I've always been interested in it. I've always kind of growing up played with toys and robots and stuff like that and battle different things and whatnot. And I just jumped into it and I said, you know, if you want to do something, do it. And uh, that's when I started building Rusty. That's so cool. So Rusty is your first combat robot ever. Did you build like anything smaller or is like you're just jumping right into the deep end with a 250 pounder? Well, that's kind of, I guess, the interesting tidbits about me. I tend to, when I jump into something, I really jump into something. So yeah, I went right into the deep end. I, uh, <laughs> I always wanted to go, I always was fascinated by the larger robots and just the, the physics involved with larger robot combat. And I just jumped right into the deep end. Rusty is my first robot and I have not done any other uh, robot combat post, uh, or I should say pre-Rusty. Um, Post-Rusty, I'm definitely looking at getting into a lot of the smaller weight classes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And, and you're, you're, you're part of like a, uh, a a pretty good community in your area you know um like outside of chicago you know they have robo gym um obviously wisconsin has team wayachi like legendary uh -huh. team um and there's there's lots and lots of of great kind of combat robotics events near you um and now now that now you've competed on battlebots you know like uh you, you certainly have swagger, you know, when you uh, kind of walk in with a, a little beetle white version of, uh, of Rusty, I guess, in the future. You know? Right. Well, yeah. and, and that was a, that was a big thing, too, is I, I, you know, I knew all these big names and stuff because, yeah, Wyachi's about four hours north of me in Wisconsin. And um, besides like the big names and stuff like that, it was another thing, too, where now I feel like I've gotten so much uh, exposure to these people and I've talked to so many people because it was kind of difficult for me. I, I uh I had difficulty, let's say, reaching out to the community, not not from their standpoint, from, from my own. I was just kind of like, you know, I, I'm a nobody. Nobody knows my name, you know. And so now that I've actually met and uh, worked with all these people and talked with them, it's, it's amazing just the amount of stuff, like you said, that goes on in the area that I didn't even know about. That's so cool. That's that's a really great segue, you know, into our, our next question from BattleBot Superfan and honorary Sporkinock team member, Mary Catherine Carr. Uh, she wants to know uh, about the combat robotics fandom and uh, writes, you should know I immediately looked up your Facebook page when I saw your submission on the supporters page. Obviously, Rusty has quickly risen to fame among the fandom due to his wonderful design. He has diehard fans without having a fight <laughs> yet. Um, <laughs> How does it feel to have such a big fan base already? And does it make you more nervous or excited for the 2020 season? It actually, it's, um, it's definitely welcomed. It's wonderful. I, I love it. Um, it's, it's greater than I ever could have hoped for, but I'm definitely both, I'm both extremely excited and extremely, I, I definitely get nervous at the same time. Cause it's like, wow, you know, everybody's so in love with the robot. <laughs> As a person, I want to live up to the robot that I've built. You know what I mean? Cause, 
he, he, he's, he was so accepted so rapidly and so many people are just drawn to him right off the bat that I was like, wow, you know, like I assume people would like him. I didn't think that people would love him. I love him. So maybe that, maybe that's rubbed off under the robot and under the other people. But, uh, I, it definitely for, especially like the, uh, the 2020 season, you know, it's going to be airing and everything. I, you know, I really hope that, uh, the fights and everything and how I, which again, I, I say that all the time. I'm like, gosh, I wonder how I'm going to look on TV, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I really hope that uh, I and the bot live up to everybody's expectations on the 2020 season and going forward. Um, but I love it. I really do. I, I love, I love that everybody's excited about the robot. I'm excited about him. I'm excited about the sport. And, uh, I'm, I don't know. It's tough to put the words, but yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm really, I'm really loving it. I really am. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm loving having uh, met everybody too. Everybody was so fantastic. And the community too, the, the, uh, the immediate acceptance was, uh, was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I think for, for us and maybe I won't speak for them, but like for me, um, one of the reasons why I love Rusty so much is because you look at it, and you are like the fan who goes into their garage and builds a robot that like they dreamed up and like you actually did it and it was possible. And like, you know, so often you like we we interview these amazing builders on this show and they are so smart. You know, they're, they're like um, NASA engineers or they're like roboticists, they're AI engineers. Um, they have access to uh, like the most incredible machinery ever. And it it's difficult because like so many, like hundreds of thousands of fans like are just like us where like we look at this pile of stuff at our parents' house and we say like, can I build a robot out of that? And like, can I get on this show? And, and like, you're, you're the embodiment of that dream, you know? And like, that's really cool um, because there's so many more fans who feel like this, who have that same, that same feeling like, Oh, I, I, I could, I could maybe get on the show. Like I want to put a, <laughs> I want to put a chainsaw on a Roomba and see if I can get onto that. You know? <laughs> right. Um, Cause there, there's so, so, so many more fans like that than like the, incredible rocket engineers who are also on the show, you know? Right. And I told, I, that's another thing too, is I, when I said I'm pretty normal, I, I am just a very normal average person. Um, I, I definitely could have called my team average Joe robotics. <laughs> um, but it, uh, it was, yeah, it was a thing too, where I, I felt that way when I rolled in the door the first day, I was like, I'm rolling in and like, I'm like, Oh, here's this robot over here. That's like a work of art. You can just tell they've had, a lot of a lot of CAD work, a lot of time, a lot of you know full blown teams working on them. They've had you know lasers, they've water jets, CNC, you know really high end engineering. And I'm rolling in with something where I'm like, yeah, that piece I kind of chopped it out with a torch and welded it in, and it works, you know. <laughs> so yeah. Rusty, I think that's another thing that uh, draws people to him is that uh, he actually. Rusty doesn't exist in CAD. I mean, I've had some like rough renderings at, kind of after I made him, but like he was very much so he's kind of like a working piece of art. As he was put together, he was just kind of built and I, I did everything in my head. And that's another thing you talk about. Not everybody has uh, access to expensive CAD programs, you know, advanced manufacturing methods. And um, like you said, they, they're like, I want to get into this and I don't have a large amount of money to and time to invest in, or maybe they do have time, but, uh, um, 
and they so you start building with what you have and it is definitely possible you can make a competitive robot if you put the thought and time into building one yeah that's so cool um yeah i i know it's it's certainly something that that chris and Lindsay and kyle and i talk about you know um we we're, we're fans ourselves you know we're not builders but um cool. Not yet. And I, I think that, you know, we go to surplus stores or we go to junkyards and we just kind of stand around and point at things and are like, you know, maybe we could turn that into something. And um, it's it's cool that that you succeeded and did that. So, so yeah, that's pretty, pretty special. You give us hope. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I mean, he is he is very uh I'm trying to think if there's really anything on him. I don't there really isn't. I mean, there's either something that has been made custom by hand, you know, worked into the purpose I needed it for. But generally speaking, everything on the bot is off the shelf um, or repurposed, like I said. So he, it, it is definitely possible. I did spend a ton of time on him. I will, I will warn you there. <laughs> yes. Speaking to um, uh, Luke's point that he just made before about, you know, how like, you know, you walk in there alongside of, you know, NASA engineers and, and, you know, CAD professionals and, it, it, it's it's a uh, it's reminiscent, David, of like how the Eagles let like just like one guy come to you know training every year, and if he makes it, like he gets to be on the Eagle. <laughs> right, and, like, you're like you're living the dream right now. I am living the dream right now. I mean, I even when I got home, I was like, you know, I actually still don't believe that I was on BattleBots, I and mean, to some degree, because I'm a back to like home and I'm gonna start work up again tomorrow. I was like. I actually competed in BattleBots. I actually, you know, because you spend all this time and work and, you know, you'll have shortcomings and stuff. But, like, I was like, I actually made the drive out there. I actually got out there with the robot. You know, I actually got the robot and everything. You know, I, I actually fought in BattleBots. And it's still, right now, I'm like, you know, it kind of blows my mind. I mean, when, when I'm holding the door with them, a lot of people are like, oh, man, that's really neat. Like, what is that? You know, I don't think, even when I came into the building, people didn't weren't like, oh, that's they're like, you're gonna actually compete with that. I was like, yeah, I am, <laughs> you know. So it it has been it has been mind blowing. Let me let me say that. Yeah, that's so cool. We we have a series of listener questions about the inspiration behind oh. Rusty's design. So I'll just run through these. Um, you know, feel free to. Uh, to uh to tell me that you know some of these inspirations are wildly off base i think there's a lot of speculation but um so starting off you know we have a question from a fan uh named tom brisborne who asks what mishmash inspiration inspired rusty's design and which battlebots competitors past and present would you love to be put against uh in the battle box so we'll start off with the design inspiration i've heard a lot of um, Iron Giant, you know, like things like boilerplate and stuff like that. Um, I actually was chuckling about it because I would say all all of the above to a degree because I was a super big Iron Giant fan when I was a kid. Loved the show when I was young. Um, growing up watching, uh, I watched Robot Wars and BattleBots. Loved the judges on Robot Wars. I always thought that the judge bots were awesome as a kid. So there's definitely inspiration from there. There's inspiration from uh, TV shows and media, things like boilerplate. There's inspiration from, you know, video games and stuff like that. Uh, growing up, I, I do love me some some video games like Bioshock even. But I even roll back to, I was I was uh, looking at photos I was taking of him in my uh, our barn the other day. And I even think, like, I look at the old tractors and stuff we've got. They kind of have that same, you know, old equipment and stuff. 
they would do the same thing where they almost designed some character into the, the headlights of the, you know, the old tractors and stuff. They looked like they had eyebrows. They looked like they had a face to them. You know, they looked happy when they were out there plowing a field. And I think what ended up culminating was I was like all this stuff that's been, you know, floating around in my head and my love, especially for like retro robots and vehicles and designs and stuff like that culminated into rusty. Um, so definitely. Yeah. I mean, if people ask like, what's your inspiration? It's, it's like all of it really. And then, uh, what was the what was the other half of that question? I, my brain ran off. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, which BattleBots competitors, past and present, would you love to uh, to be put against in the BattleBots? Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. Um, you know, honestly, there was a lot of things because even this year when I got there, there was a lot of competitors. Where I was like, oh darn, they're not here. You know, like I actually wanted. I was like. I was like, I'm a hammer bot. I want to fight other hammer bots. So I was like, I was like excited to fight. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're talking about top tier robots, but I like robots like Beta. I'm a big fan of. Um, I wanted to actually fight Nelly the Ellie bot. Um, but at the same time, there was often where I was kind of like, I'm like, you know what? I want to fight everybody because Rusty can go the distance, you know? So I mean, like, I'm a big Tombstone fan, a big Bite Force fan. I'm a big, uh, I love me some full body spinners, a uh, big body spinner fan. I'd, I'd love to fight like a Gigabyte, Captain America. Um, I keep calling him Captain America. He's Captain Shredderator, Dave. Come on, we got to get on base here. So, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and uh, but it's, it's like, geez, you know, there's there's even a lot of uh, I, I you know I look on the back and like you know like I used like I said I grew up watching Robot Wars. Um, Robot Wars definitely I think had more of the home built built feel. At least that's what I remember from back in the day. So there's a lot of that where even those kind of robots, because that's the way Rusty is. Uh, there's a lot of those. Eric. Everybody talks about Eric. I'd fight Eric. I think Rusty and Eric should fight. That'd be a, that'd be an epic fight. <laughs> but um, I, I really, I, I, I have been so like immersed in stuff, and I love all the different designs and stuff like that. That I would fight anybody, anytime, anywhere with Rusty. Win that's or lose. <laughs> You, you talked a little bit about, you know, how tough the robot is, you know, um, it's, it's not a question that fans ask, but I'm certainly curious about it. You know, um, it, how, did, did you, did you design it for toughness? Like, was that, was that in your mind, you know, um, when you're, when you were designing Rusty, would you go back and watch uh, fights like Tombstone versus Rotator or, you know, versus Gruff or something like that and kind mm -hmm. of imagine like what is going to happen when I put, uh, put my rusty little robot, you know, in the battle box against, um, some of these high kinetic energy, full mm -hmm. combat heavyweights. That was actually the, the number one thing I said, well, if I, if I'm not going to do a high kinetic energy weapon, if I'm not going to do like a horizontal or a vertical spinner, um, cause I was like, oh, I gotta change the, I gotta, I gotta be different, which I mean, hammerbots have done, but I was like, I want to do something knew or I want to try to push a different design path but I knew watching like you said crop or duck um that the first thing you have to have you're not going to win a fight if your robot can't go the distance first going the first three minutes is going to increase your odds the most of winning a match um and that that means both mechanically and electrically so yes when I was building Rusty the first thing I thought was I was like actually I want him to be as compact as possible and I want them to be as durable as possible. And it is difficult when, you know, we talk about these high kinetic energy weapons and stuff like that. When you are home building, it is harder to build precise or well-controlled uh, high kinetic energy weapons. Mm -hmm. It's uh, harder to, it's harder to stuff more power into the robot as far as like drive motors and stuff like that. So I actually, I rolled back and this kind of, this 
kind of rolls into why he has tracks. I know tracks are not as popular anymore um, because of some of the, the, the issues and the design and the difficulties with tracks and performance. But when I was like, oh, I got to put tracks on because he looks like a little tank and everything. Um, the idea was actually to have the tracks because the best, you know, purpose of tracks typically is to have uh, put more power to the ground, more torque to the ground. So I did. I was like, well, I'm going to build this robot like a tank. I'm going to build it very dense, very strong. And I'm going to put tracks on it with the intent of being able to transfer torque to the ground. So I might not be the fastest, but I will be a tanky robot capable of pushing other robots around and kind of controlling the uh, arena that way. I won't say what plans have and haven't worked out the way I wanted them to, because <laughs> that's also part of it is, you know, you're building through, especially a home build bot that uh, not everything comes out exactly as planned, but um, yeah, definitely. I, I built the front end of Rusty because he, he was, you know, I originally found the looking for parts and stuff to start from when I originally found the big chunk of pipe in the big box section of the farm, but I was like, Oh, I could put those together. And the whole idea with that pipe, was that form piece of pipe, although it is a piece of mild steel, and a lot of these teams are running really high-strength steels like AR-500 or titanium, um, uh, is that I was like, well, that very thick formed piece will be excellent for ramming into high-kinetic energy weapons. Um, so that was definitely a largely his – He let's say – let's put it this way. His design was with – it had an intent behind it. Everything actually does for purpose, I should say. All right, David, I got a question from Ian Danger Miller who asks, when did you get the acceptance letter and when did you start building Rusty? If you could just kind of take us through, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're down in the minor leagues and, you know, they, they call up a righty and all of a sudden you're, you're you know, you're, uh, you're closing against the Yankees. Can you, can you tell right. us about what that whole process was like and, you know, take us through the emotional roller coaster of it? Uh, emotional roller coaster is a great way to describe it. So actually this goes back three years. Um, originally I had started building the bot cause I, I, like I said, I'd seen on the website, I was like, Oh, anybody can apply. I was like, I'm gonna start building the bot and getting them ready. And, um, three years ago I had applied and three years ago I was, I was very much so a maybe like you can make, you can come out here and maybe we'll be able to get you in some fights, you know, maybe, you know, if you do well, we'll get you on the show. So three years ago was a maybe, maybe. And I actually, because that was maybe, a, that was about a little over a month out from when I had gotten the maybe you can be on, um, I actually was really starting to get into designing and building them. So I, I didn't have a ton of time to put them together over the course of a month. I'm not saying it's impossible, but considering that he was not catted, um, that I was pulling stuff off the shelf and making things work. I had him functioning three years ago, uh, but I was using things like I was using AGM batteries, you know. I was using like scooter motors and stuff. So it was very difficult to get them squared away and reliable and um, up to the performance I wanted. And then it was just kind of like a few days before everything kind of fell apart, you know, like my truck, the engine went, uh, I had uh, issues with the receiver and stuff stopped working. And so I wasn't able to actually make it three years ago. And that, that for me was actually the hardest part because that I felt like it was more on me that it was my failure that I didn't pull everything together and I didn't have everything ready, even though I was, you know, it wasn't a, a for sure, but I felt like I had missed a huge chance to get out there. Um, I also had been bugging Greg nonstop. So that was part of it. <laughs> um, and then uh, two bots, uh, last year I had again tried to get on and they had a really, really big field of bots. Um, I wasn't sure, uh, you know, I'd heard late when the season was confirmed and stuff like that. And I was put on, again, I was put on a waiting list last year, but 
I sadly didn't make the cut last year either. And so now I was like, well, two years in. And at this point, uh, last year, I started switching over to like brush motors and stuff like that, uh, uh, lithium batteries. So I'd actually started putting more and more and more and more money into the pot. And uh, I was like, oof, I've got all this uh, work and time in the pot. And I, again, had come up short. So that was, you know, again, you talk about the emotional roller coaster. You're like, oh, I'm going to make it. And then you don't. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to make it. And then you don't. And it uh, that gets difficult, again, especially when it's like, you know, you have friends, you have family, you have coworkers, you know, and you're trying to plan it and you're trying to talk to people and people know about it. And they're like, oh, you're in. And, oh, you didn't make it. So that, that was all over the place. Um, and then uh, coming up to this year, again, I was like, come on, you know, third time's a charm. You know, I was like, I got to get in. And I was a maybe, I was kind of on the waiting list. And I was like, that's good enough for me. So maybe like a month out again, I just was like full blown. Like I got everything squared away on the bot. I got everything like nipped up, all the electrical. I started getting like spares and stuff in, in line as best I could because some things were like one off or odd parts that I'd found like wherever eBay or used stuff here and there. So I started getting stuff kind of planned and ready. And I was like, all right, I'm pretty much ready to go. I sent them, you know, working footage and everything of the bot. And that's when I finally got the, you're in, you know, make it out here. Here's the date. And I was like, ha, ah, I did it finally. But then that was when I realized I was like, oh, there's a lot more. I still have to get the truck ready to get all the parts together. So the week before, again, we talked about that emotional roller coaster. I was like running tests and then you'd run into last second problems. Parts would fail. I was spending, you know, I was pulling two, three hour nights. I was falling asleep out in the barn and stuff. I'd wake up in my, uh, my, uh, zero G chair frozen to the chair because I realized the temperature was only like 35. <laughs> so I mean, it was, it was, and I would wake up in the morning and I was just like, and I was like, am I going to make it? And it was one of those things where every morning I was like, you guys, you got to keep at it. You got to keep at it. If you don't keep at it, you're not going to make it. And sure enough, I mean, like I said, it was, uh, that Friday, I was actually that Thursday night. I was out till about 12 uh, that night, throwing everything in the truck. Threw a tarp over Rusty, <laughs> woke up about four hours later, made a 12-hour drive, slept in uh, Rifle was actually the name of the town, slept in Rifle in the truck overnight for about four or five hours, got up and kept going. And uh, rolled in, you know, kind of at the, I shouldn't say last second, but rolled in the door and was like, ha ha, I made it. So that that was kind of, that was my experience trying, you know, it was a lot of work, a lot of ups and downs um, to get to where I am. <laughs> my goodness. That's more yeah. of like... That's like uh, less of a, an emotional roller coaster and more of emotional bungee jumping. Yes, yes, it was. It was. It was crazy for the last three years, especially because I'm the kind of person that when I do kind of, I do really like go full blown into things, and I get hyper focused on stuff. And so for like three years, I would, I would occasionally just be like, oh, you didn't, you know, like you didn't make it. You got to go work harder. You know, you got to do this. You got to do that. So I did spend a lot of time, like, kind of like. I don't know, drumming myself up, kind of beating myself into, you know, getting the job done. So it was, it was crazy, but worth it, but worth it. I will say that. <laughs> so I have a, I have a question here from Chomp Captain Zoe Stevenson. It's actually mm -hmm. a series of questions. Can you, uh, can you talk to us, uh, you know, through the process of creating Rusty? I know that we just touched a little bit on, you know, Rusty was technically born in a garage three years ago, but maybe more of the technical details of, of that creation process and, and did you have it all in your head, uh, you know, uh, from like a design standpoint from the start? And, um, you know, how, what was your methodology of actually building it? Did you do it bit by bit, weapon first, you know, drive first, and then you see how it comes out? You know, you know, how, how, how was your design process? 
So the original, when I was originally like, I want to build a robot, obviously I was like, well, the hardest thing for me right now is I don't have the means to manufacture a chassis. Um, there are some way, you know, I can, there are different ways I can, I could have ordered up things and had steel cut and whatnot, but I was like, I need to do this as cost effective as possible. And so I was like, we'll start with the chassis. And I said, well, what do I have laying around here? And I, I literally just started kind of walking around the uh, farm looking for inspiration. And like I said, I went over to our steel pile and we had all this pipe and uh, structural square tube, which again, mild steel is not the best material, but I was like, you know what? It, it does have its, its pros. You know, it's very ductile. It's very easy to work. It's very easy to bend and weld and repair if it gets damaged. So I was like, well, I have it. And it was thick too. It's a three-eighths wall. Both of the sections were. Um, so I ended up, I was looking at it and looking at it and I was like, well, okay. If I put the pipe in the front, I said, again, the pipes formed, which makes the pipe significantly more uh, resilient. Um, I can put a, I can put a cylinder in the pipe. I can put a crank in the pipe. I can put a hammer section on there. I can make the weapon modular. And I said, I can use the rear box section and I can attach directly to that, you know, my tracks. I can attach to that all my internals. I can put my electricals and stuff in there. And I knew right off the bat, I would want the uh, motors at the rear of the bot. So what ended up happening was, is it kind of came together all at once. And within a couple of days, I formed the general guidelines for Rusty. So I knew I wanted to do a crank and a hammer setup with a semi, you know, like a modular system. I knew I could use the crank to attach different weapons. Um, I knew that the uh, pneumatic system, how that was going to fit in there. I knew where I was going to put the batteries and the components in the back. And I knew that he was going to be a track bot. And then I also knew that I was going to build some type of, uh, I had to build some type of kind of track cover and I was going to have to put, you know, guards and stuff around the tracks. So from a very high level, the design was done in my head in a very short period of time. What you, when you run into, uh, issues with the, when I ran into issues, it was largely because the finite details of you say, well, yeah, here's the space that I've kind of, I've, I've said, this is the size I want. I want to keep them condensed and I want to fit everything in here. If you're not actually designing this in a 3D space, um, I was trying, I was doing it in my head is that I was like, well, I need a, you know, I need a regulator. How do I fit that in there? I need X amount of batteries. How do I fit that in there? Here's the size of the motors. If you can take and do that all up front, you're like, oh, sure. I can tweak and adjust things before actually going into the build. I ran into where I was like, well, I have to do all this in my head and, you know, get a spatial awareness for all the parts and how I'm going to squeeze them in there. And then I actually have to do it. And that's where I ran into stuff. I was like, "Ooh, this is tough to fit here, or this is close to this, or this is close to this. And then I would have to make slight tweaks and adjustments. Um, but overall, I knew that when I built the bot, because I wasn't using, you know, you know I wasn't using any advanced manufacturing methods, holes were being drilled by hand, uh, pipes were being welded. And, you know, I'd hold a pipe to it by hand and weld it, you know, where it needed to be, that... I would have to make everything in the pot as well, very adjustable. So I could, you know, I could account for the very sloppy manufacturing behind the bot. Um, a lot of that I draw from my past, uh, things I've worked with, things I've done for my job, stuff I've done around the farm, um, and my general knowledge of off the shelf parts and stuff like that. So yes, there was, there was definitely, let's say there was a design in my head, but at the same time, it was a fluid design that it would change and I would adjust it as needed to get where I needed to go, which definitely takes a lot of time and rework, let's say. Yeah, and I, I definitely, I will say this too about the weapon as well. I knew what I could, you know, knowing with the crank and the axle and everything and the way I designed the interchangeability of the weapon, 
I did that with the intention that I was like, if I make a weapon and I'm not happy with it, I don't have to change the bot behind it so much. I can just change the weapon. And that's where originally I went with a hammer. And then I was like, well, you know, I want something that is going to be able to be, uh, let's put it this way. Hammers can be very difficult from the sense that if you swing and miss, you got to obviously pull the hammer back, reposition, swing and miss. It, it can be very difficult when you have bots running around the box to land hits with a hammer. Um, I saw that a lot of times from watching other hammer bots, especially big hammer bots like Vita on TV and stuff. Yeah. That uh, having a powerful hammer is one thing. Or Chomp is a great example. I watch Chomp and I'm like, they've got a targeting system and they're having trouble landing the hammer. That's why I kind of rolled back and I was like, well, what can I create? What do I have? What am I used to that I can create a high impact force repetitively? And that's why I started thinking about like I came up with all these crazy ideas and I was like, you know, he's already pneumatic. And I said, well, there's air hammers. And that was where I, I came into. Everybody's probably used to seeing the photos of him with the, the little uh, air hammer on him. I was like, well, an air hammer, once I land it, I can just leave the air hammer running and it'll do its job. So that's where, again, because of his design up front, because I knew I was going to need that adjustability and that, let's say, let's say modularity. Um, is that he was set up so I could keep changing the weapon. And even now, like I said, I wanted to, and I, I may still, um, I wanted to make a flipper and stuff for him as well, depending on the type of robot I thought. So he, let, I, I knew that's, a, and I'll go back to this again. I knew him being a garage built bot, being a junkyard bot, that I would have to design in uh, adjustability and modularity. Yeah. I have a question from Hijinx teammate, uh, mm -hmm. Maddie Hagen, who asks, what was the process like salvaging this from yard art and making it a robot? You know, actually, that was sometimes the, the best part of it was when I have all this stuff laying around that's been laying around for a long time. You know, you ever learn like, I want to save that because, you know, someday I'll need to use it and then you never use it. Rusty was a lot of those things and I ended up using them, which was great. <laughs> Because I would run into things where I was like, well, how am I going to attach, you know, because again, the, his air hammer is just an off the shelf air hammer. You can go buy it from the store right now if you want. And I was like, well, how am I, how is he going to hold an air hammer? And that's where I was like, I have a bunch of, you know, muffler clamps, you know, U-bolts. And I was like, well, I could take the U-bolts and work them into some, you know, square tubing stuff, bolt them into where his existing arms were on the airline and boom, good to go. I love that actually. It was probably one of, you know, you ever watch movies growing up, maybe this is part of the inspiration. You see these kids build like home-built stuff in movies and then it works great. Uh, that was kind of a lot of that. You know, it was like, don't get me wrong, the 80s montage thing, it doesn't happen that fast. It happens over really extended periods of time. But that's a lot of what it was. Is I'd be running around like staring at him, looking at him, being like, ah, oh, you know, da, da, da. and then I would just kind of walk around and I'd be like, oh, I could use that. Oh, I could use that. Oh, I could put this and this. It was kind of like putting together a puzzle, you know, as I was going. And I loved it. It was, it was actually, like I said, it was the most fun I had when I was working on the bot was finding these little bits and pieces and turning them into something functional and repurposing things is a lot of fun. I love it. I have two questions, actually, one from Susie Lou Sherwood and one from uh, BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr that are kind of in the same vein. And, you know, what they want to know is, like, what, what percentage of Rusty would you say is salvage and, and how much would you say is new? Oh, that's a good question. Let me think. That is a, that is a, what percentage? I would say probably 80, 80, 85% of them at least is salvage. Um, it's tough to say what percentage is new. So things like, um, and when I say salvage, I would pull working things that I had and use them like the air hammer, um, was, was a fairly new tool that I had had that I ended up reusing. Um, but generally speaking, basically all of this chassis, um, 
his tracks and things like that were all either used or repurposed items. The only real things that I would say are, are were new were uh, some of his electronics, like motors and belts and um, uh, his receiver and stuff like that. And I always chuckle because I told a lot of people when I was on there, I was like, he's actually got an Arduino Duet stuffed in there. And they're like, you're running an Arduino Duet in a combat robot? And I was like, yeah. Because I, you know, again, it was something that I was familiar with and I could repurpose. So he, on the flip side, though, he's got things like there's a part of a license plate in them. There's a, a street signs that weren't taken off the street. They were already they're already retired from the street. I'll say that I didn't go take anything off the street, but <laughs> they were cut up and repurposed for things like his battery box. Um, obviously, his box sections were all scrapped. I would use leftover pieces I had from other projects, pieces of aluminum. He had a piece of uh, he actually had a piece of a, a galvanized trash can. Used to be his air tank cover on the back. I had to replace that because it was a little heavy. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was. I, I would say at least eighty five percent of the bot was repurposed parts. Rusty sounds like a post-apocalyptic freedom fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that, like, <laughs> from uh, a Max movie that are making their own uh, armor out of whatever's lying around. Yeah, I, I, that's essentially what I did, is I started throwing them together from what I had lying around. It was it was largely, it was awfully uh, funny. I, I make the joke a lot where my parents would come over and they'd be looking for something. They'd be like, oh, where's that? Why don't you do with that piece of angle iron I had sitting over here? I want, I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know where that went. It would be welded to the robot. <laughs> I'm just curious. Are there any stop signs missing in your neighborhood? No, no stop signs yet. No, no. I, uh, I, I did chuckle though, because I'm trying to remember how far back it was, but I remember there was a, a construction thing nearby and they had left uh, a bunch of stuff on our property and it was there for probably five or six years. And we took them back to the barn, put them in a pile. We called up the township and said, Hey, we have your signs. And they're like, Oh yeah, we'll come get them. And they never picked them up. So uh, they got repurposed, you know, several years later into Rusty. <laughs> so this is a great question that I have right here. Is Rusty painted Rusty or is Rusty actually Rusty Rusty? Thank you, James B for that one. Oh, I love that question. There was a few people when they first walked up to him, they, they, they thought he was, you know, like painted rusty. He's definitely 100% rusty. It's full blown rust. Um, he has, I did. The only thing I really scraped off of him was he had a lot of dirt on him. Um, that was kind of worked into the metal from sitting outside. I did brush him down, but he is 100% rust. <laughs> There's no paint on him. Uh, are other uh, mem members attending BattleBots required to get a tetanus shot before uh, competing against Rusty? You know, we we did we did check on that because <laughs> because he is a solid block of rust, and so I I hope everybody was up to date on their tetanus shots. Uh, luckily, I was mostly the only person handling them uh, without gloves. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that joke was made several times by people in the pits. They were like, "Oh, you know, you up to date on your tetanus shot?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I think." <laughs> Devin Huey wants to know how big is that thing? Oh, that's a great question. Dimensionally, dimensionally, how big are you? I'm trying to think because I had him sitting. He's not that terribly big. I want to say he's only, uh, gosh, I, I like want to grab a tape measure and run out to the truck right now because I got to get him out of the truck. He's probably uh, under, he's not, he's he's about two foot long, I think, front to back, maybe a little longer. And then uh, he's probably only like a foot and a half wide. So he's pretty small. He's, he's tall. He's pretty tall. 
Um, but he actually, I think that was another thing that surprised a lot of people is when they actually saw him in person, they're like, oh, the robot is quite condensed. So he's not terribly big. I can actually, uh, I'll have to take, uh, I'll post for you guys what his actual dimensions are. So, uh, yeah, that's way more compact than I would have assumed looking at photos and, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of what diameter, and it, it gives some reference. I want to say that because he is built out of structural pipe and tubing, that mm-hmm. it's standard stuff. And I want to say the, the pipe is uh, 12 inches ID. I want to say it's around 12 inches ID, so it's not terribly big. Hmm. I have a question from Steve Dufort, who wants to know, is Rusty's helmet made from titanium or AR-500 steel? It's actually a bowl of uh, unobtainium that I found at the store. So it's a, uh, it's a very high-strength salad bowl. <laughs> yes. All, they were all adamantium? Yeah. It, 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 uh, it's all adamantium, actually, yeah. Whole bot. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I have a question here from Mario Cast, who asks, does Rusty have a sidearm for turning over just in case it gets turned over on its, on its side? He actually does self-write, which is done through his uh, weapon, actually, um, which was something that I had tested at home and uh, had made modifications to once I had gotten to the event. But he does fully self-write if he gets thrown on his side. It's actually those, I'm trying to think, if you look at the pictures of him, there's two There's two pieces of square tube that come off, uh, let's say, uh, perpendicular to his uh, arms, and those actually are what are used to self-write him. Uh, Jennifer Campbell has a two-part question, the second half of which makes her literally my favorite fan ever now. Uh, how many pounds is the sledgehammer? And follow-up question, can we fans call ourselves Rusty Farians? Uh, the hammer is eight pounds, and absolutely you can call yourself Rustafarian. That is probably the greatest thing I've heard today, actually, in a long time. That is beautiful. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I do it. too. It, it is. It is. It is fantastic. I, I love seeing all the, the, the just the uh, the different stuff going around. People having fun and uh, just the excitement, general excitement and stuff has been awesome. It's been awesome. Nelly, the Elibot weapons operator, Rira Alice Thela Granger, wants to know, serious question, why the drill? It's a pretty unique weapon system to battle bots. So the, the drill, and I touched on it a little bit before, is obviously with battle bots, it's all about creating the highest uh, impact force you can. And often, uh, either, either you want to smash or deform the other bot's body or, or puncturing the other robot's body. Uh, air hammers... By their nature, they were designed for things like sharing bolts, cutting panels, puncturing holes, punching bolts. Uh, so the nice thing about it is, is you are taking a large amount of energy, which is what we want to do. You see this with all the big bar spinners, vertical spinners, and you want to condense it into a tiny, tiny little period of time to create these incredibly high impact forces. And that's what's nice about the air hammer. The other nice thing about the air hammer, like I said before, is unlike a regular hammer, you know, when you swing the, you know, the bigger and the heavier you make the hammer, the harder it is for the robot underneath the control. You know, you swing the hammer up, the robot rocks. You swing the robot, the hammer down. It lifts the robot or throws the robot off the floor, um, which, again, you're losing all that energy and it's not getting transferred to your opponent. The nice thing about the air hammer is, is when I bring the air hammer into the opponent and I cram the air hammer against them and turn the air hammer on, it's automatically like a jackhammer repetitively. And luckily, if you can pin somebody or control them in the same spot, 
driving a very large impact force. And so it becomes much easier to um, hit an opponent and then just stay on the opponent again without having to pull a hammer up swing, pull a hammer up swing. Mm-hmm. So that that was why when I came around to the air hammer, I was like, it has a lot of pros to it. It also is nice because if your opponent happens to have open areas in their armor on the top or exposed chains or belts, and they do try to move around, that then the hammer, again, without having to retract it, naturally is just running around the bot looking for something to damage. So it wouldn't be a, a rear question block without a follow-up question uh, on the subject matter of wheels. Rira asks, wheels, gotta love them. How well protected are yours? And are, are they even wheels? Rumor has it, you are trying to cut my diet by having tracks. I, I He does 100% have tracks. The tracks were made out of, and I love telling people what they were made out of. Um, this is just something I was familiar with. It's a Rexnord 1864 tabletop chain. So it's actually a number 60 ANSI base chain, which is used in you know factories and in conveyor systems and stuff like that, which has this nice, nice uh, steel top plate. And then the, uh, the little the little feeder, the cleats clip onto the standard number 60 chain. And so what I did is I took one of those and I, I uh, shaved down the plates so they weren't quite so wide and uh, roughed up the plate. And then I would cut hunks of uh, rubber and adhere the rubber directly to the plates. So that's how his tracks were made. Uh, they work phenomenally well. And then his uh, track guards, I, I work quite well actually for protecting his tracks. I, again, with the NDA, I can't go into exactly how different fights and stuff went. But um, I will say that they, they have held up very, very well, and as actually as expected to, they've held up and done a great job of protecting the tracks. Hmm. How do you adhere uh, the rubber to the, to the track? Um, um, that's out of personal curiosity. So that's actually an interesting thing. I spent a lot of time looking at different adhesives and stuff like that, and I've had some success with actually both of them I've tried using. So the first one I used was right off the hardware sh- uh, store shelf as contact cement. The contact cement, surprisingly, uh, like I said, if I took the uh, steel plates and I would take and grind them or sand them with a real rough paper to rough up the plates and try and make them porous, and then I would uh, hit the either the, the rubber with a sandpaper or grinder to rough it up, and then follow if you follow directions exactly as the can says, which is something else I ran into, if you don't follow them to the T, it doesn't work very well. But if I followed them to the T, the rubber would adhere better typically um, to the point where it, the rubber would actually like separate itself. So that contact cement worked great. And I also used a, um, a uh, they don't they don't say what it is on the bottle, but just out of experience, I know what it is. It's a uh, water curing uh, urethane. I've also used that and that worked incredibly well, uh, incredibly well too. Um, so I did not really ever have, I might've lost if I, if I was not real careful or I didn't follow the time or the prep instructions um, with the, uh, uh, adhesive that I would occasionally have a rubber pop off, but generally speaking, that rubber stuck on the tracks extremely well. That's really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I'll be honest, that when I was, when I was, because obviously weight is always a concern, I was always looking at it like, I'm like, is this, is this, is this you know, am I going to glue these things on? Is it really going to hold up? And I did a lot of testing at home, and the answer was yes, it will hold up. And I was super impressed. Some of these uh, modern adhesives are extremely impressive yeah just you know thinking about just the, the sheer amount of like torque that's going to be uh, put on them you know especially on like a like a track bot who's you're you're turning on a dime um you know you would think that the rubber would be ripped clean off of those but that's that's really fascinating to find out that that that, that works 
It does. And actually, I, what the first thing that I found was interesting is, you know, I talk about, I'd have these concepts and I'd design things and I'd plan them and I'd look at it. And then I would get out to actually testing the bot. You know, I took the bot out on asphalt right off the bat and I would set things like logs on the asphalt, put weights and stuff on it, try to get it to 50 pounds. And, and the, the robot would pull through the tracks, you know, he'd burn rubber and the pads would stay on there like, like, like nothing. It was uh, no problem for the adhesive. And I was surprised actually, it's kind of funny because you could, you'd, you'd smell cause you know, you talk about, you know, the, the track scrubbing when you rotate and stuff. I could be out to the point where you could smell the rubber burning on the tracks, and I never had any issue with the adhesive. All right, I have a question from Mammoth teammate Bryce Farrell, who wants to know what was your favorite moment moment from uh, filming, and uh, you know, feel free to avoid uh, any spoilers. Ooh, that's yeah, that's a tough one because there was. Let me say this: I there were a, a ton of great moments. It's actually very hard because. I was on a constant adrenaline high the entire time I was there. Um, <laughs> it was, it, everything was exciting. Obviously everything was new to me at the time. Um, but I, I will always go back to that. I loved, I loved, you know, you see, you know, you hear about how great the community and stuff is. My favorite thing was that the teams there right off the bat were like, we're here. You're a part of us. We love you. We love the bot. And if you need anything or you need any help, we're here. And so like that instant acceptance was probably was, I should say, I shouldn't even say probably was the greatest thing about the season. That's very cool. Thank you. I have a question from mammoth teammate, um, tens win who asks, will rusty have a minion bot that's painted yellow and looks like minion. <laughs> you know, that's, it's, it's actually interesting. I got a lot of questions about, it was another thing. People were like, Oh, he looks like a minion. Um, I think so. It's, it's funny because a lot of the stuff, you know, I, I've gotten so I've, I'm having fun building the bot and there's definitely going to be a lot of, uh, let's say, offsprings to Rusty. <laughs> so there's very possible to be a yellow Rusty. Oh, I am uh, very excited to see that and, and the future of Rusty. Um, so we have a question here from pain train teammate Anthony D'Ambrosio, who asks, the internet seems to think they need to protect this boy, but can Rusty protect himself if needed? Ooh, you know what? I, I, he can protect himself if needed. You know, I, I did put a lot of thought into, and I talked about this a lot when I was at the event. Uh, there is one and only one Rusty. Um, and Rusty was, Rusty was designed that no matter what happens, uh, good or bad, I will always repair Rusty and put him back the way he was, or at least close. Um, so he, does he need protection? Let's say no, but at the same time, does he appreciate the protection? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> A little extra protection doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> no, never hurt anybody. <laughs> uh, so Graham Grizz Glover third asks, when does the Rusty Hexbug come out? And what bot do you want it to be paired with? Ooh, that's a tough one. Who do I want my hex? I, I don't know when the uh, hex bug comes out. I would be super stoked if they decided to make hex bug of Rusty. And I hope every day that they do. Um, who would they pair him with? Oh, see, that's tough because I have ideas of who they're going to pair him with, but I got to be careful what I say. So I will be happy regardless of who they pair him with. But, uh, ooh, I'm going to have to. That's a question I'm going to have to hold off on. Let's just say I'm excited for the Hexbug, and I'm excited for whatever pairing he might come with. 
intriguing. Uh, mm-hmm. I say <laughs> for myself, if I had to think of a dream team, knowing what I know now, um, I would have to advocate for a Rusty and Nelly pairing. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I've been talking with Sarah, there's definitely going to have to be a uh, Nelly-Rusty matchup. There's going to have to be a fight, so... Um, whether that happens, whether that happens, you know, during a season or whether that's just, you know, like a, an extra grudge match or whatever you want to call it, it's definitely going to happen. <laughs> I can't wait for that day. Uh, so Jamin Woodrow, who runs the really excellent weekly combat robotics news show this week in robot combat on YouTube asks, Rusty is a God among bots. What message would Rusty pass on to its most faithful followers? That's a tall. That is a tall order. Hmm. What would Rusty pass on to his his faithful followers? Or Rusty Farians, as we now call them. No, Rusty Farians. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> what would he have? What would he pass on? Stay true to yourself and have fun. That's what he would pass on. I that might be cliche. That might be cliche, but Rusty's a little cliche. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Shuncast co-host Dale Bruce has a two-part question. Uh, first and foremost, very important: before you had eaten, were you just David Hungry? <laughs> uh, you know the thing is, is I'm still David Hungry all the time. Uh, <laughs> I love me, <laughs> and I'd be David Eaton all the time too. So. <laughs> uh, they, that is such a great question. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, I definitely, I'm, I'm both at the same time all the time. You know, I like, you know, like right now, I'm, I actually just had a, a Rosati's pizza, so I'm feeling pretty good. Uh. <laughs> Excellent. When, uh, when you had mentioned earlier that you had just gotten home an hour ago, my first thought was, I hope he's had a snack. <laughs> yeah, I got home and. I got home and we really were like, what are we going to eat? And it was like, pizza. Pizza sounds good. <laughs> is, uh, what we're having for dinner tonight, too. So cheers to pizza and cheers, cheers to, to pizza. Thank you. <laughs> um, so the other uh, question from Dale is, how much dust could a rusty thrust if a rusty could thrust dust? How much dust could a rusty thrust if a rusty could thrust dust? I would say at least 10, 15 pounds. That sounds about right. That's a lot of dust. <laughs> dust. It's a dust. <laughs> so now rust. Oof. See, he tends to hold on to the rust. That's why he's rusty. <laughs> yeah, he has to hold on to that, or else what? Well, what is he? He loses his namesake. Right. I mean, the rust is a protective layer over the uh, the uh, metal underneath. So that's the secret. I mean, that's. That is- I mean, yeah. hopefully all the, the builders out there aren't listening too hard because you got to keep that secret close. I know. I'm, I'm giving away trade secrets here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, normally during this time, we have a series of deeply philosophical questions from BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr. But this time we have some deeply philosophical questions from Nellie the Elliebot herself. We want to know, what is Rusty's favorite drink? What is Rusty's favorite drink? It's probably it's probably straight thirty weight oil, I would think. <laughs> and what is Rusty's favorite snack? Ooh, Rusty's favorite snack would have to be 
Ooh, it would probably have to be uh, Meg Wire. He really likes Meg Wire. <laughs> Mild Steel <laughs> Wire is his favorite. <laughs> so from one bonker bot to another, how much bonk force is in Rusty's bonker? Ooh, there's probably 10 to 15 bonks of bonk force in there. I mean, it, it's tough to actually calculate because it changes depending on a Rusty's feeling. But I, ooh, you know, that's actually a great question. If I was if I was going from a technical aspect, it's actually very hard to tell what the air hammer puts out. But it's it's impressive. I mean, it's enough bonk to go through about an eighth inch plate. That's that's a pretty big bonk, I must say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all right, uh, you know, uh, try, think about this one for a second. Come up with uh, with what you see. Uh, please graphically describe how Rusty would beat Bite Force. Ooh. Graphically describe how Rusty would beat Bite Force. So, there would probably the match would start off. Uh, Rusty would get right to the point. There'd be a battle charge directly for Bite Force, and he would start by getting a lucky shot on his weapon chain, popping that off, <laughs> in the hopes that uh, in the hopes that his uh, face holds up to the uh, vertical spinner of Bite Force, and then. Uh, after they tussled for a little while, they would probably just call it a day and, you know, go out for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And uh, Paul <laughs> is a listener of the show. So, um, I, I know I'm like, I'm like, Paul, I don't want to roll out and be like, Rob calling you out, Paul. And then he's like, all right. No, <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, Paul. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah just setting up 2021 that's all (laughs) (laughs) and last last question here from nelly uh if nelly versus rusty isn't the first fight of the 2021 season how will you punish the producers Oof! how am i gonna punish the producers i'm just i'm just gonna have to uh great (laughs) <laughs> How am I gonna punish Greg? <laughs> That's a tough. You know, I'm gonna write Greg a very strongly worded letter saying how disappointed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, if it isn't the first, I'll make sure it's the last fight of 2021 because sometimes you have to save the best for last. Especially because I I predict that will be the championship match of the finale. I think- I think so too. I mean, they, they both are going to be going for the nuts. So, I mean, it's considering that they're at the top of their field, that's just the way it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> so we will close out the show today with a two part question from Mary Catherine Carr. The first is, do you have a favorite rusty meme? Oh, a favorite rusty meme. That is a great, that is a great, there's a ton of really good. I know there's a ton of really good ones. Oh, Gosh, I'm like rolling back. I like whip open my phone here and start looking at the memes because I haven't saved them all. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a second here. There's actually, because I have to have a name for it because there's a lot of rusty memes. Let me do, 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 do. Oof, I, I've got to give credit. I definitely like Sarah Mail. It's Rusty on the Couch. That is great. <laughs> one. I definitely like, I definitely like, I don't remember and I'd like to give him credit. Um, he had done the uh, actual, I think called water college, but he'd actually done sketches of Rusty. That was phenomenal. 
Ooh, I should give him a shout out. I'll give him a shout on the page. I'll find his name. Yeah, it, it, it might be Jevin that you're thinking of. He's he's been uh he's been doing watercolors of of every single bot so far this this month. Um, yes, yeah. he did an excellent watercolor of Rusty. It was the attention to detail was actually beautiful. It is a pencil drawing, but correct. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> That's awesome. sorry. Uh, but there have been. You know what? It's tough to pick one, though. I love them all. They've all been beautiful. There have been so many great ones that I just can't pick one. They're all great. They're all great. Keep the Rusty memes coming. I know. I love every single one of them. So is Rusty. <laughs> and last question here. Will a mixing bowl protect my brain from a battle bot? That is, um, that's, a, that's a definite no. <laughs> it. It will protect Rusty's brain, but probably not ours. It it does, however, make a very stylish and uh, useful hat because, like I said, you can wear it as a hat. I uh, wouldn't go out in a lightning storm with it on. Uh, and you can also use it to, you know, make salad or, you know, mix up batter or something like that. So it's it's very handy. <laughs> so, Mary, if you want to go as Rusty for Halloween, you can wear the hat. But, I, I yeah, I, I don't think that you should wear it in any, any form of combat. I, I agree. <laughs> David, this has been an absolute joy for all of us. We are so happy that we got to talk to you and that you made time for us, given that you've just had this whirlwind of a few weeks and literally just got home. So go enjoy your pizza and thank you so, so much. We literally cannot wait to see you and Rusty on the show and in the battle box. And uh, thank you again so much. Thank you guys very much. Um, I was honored to be on the show. It was, I was like, and I was super stoked when you guys reached out to me. I loved it. Uh, anytime you guys want me on the show, give me a holler anytime. And I wish you guys the best. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This is Chris, and I'm filling in for Lindsay today. This week, we're traveling to Singapore, where researchers are developing artificial intelligence to teach robots how to feel pain and repair themselves. The researchers embedded pain receptors in a robot's extremities that register when it's injured by being cut or scratched. After being injured, the robot is able to fix itself using a self-healing ion gel. What do you guys think about this? Every part of this is a bad idea. <laughs> um, I feel like I feel like robots. Uh, we we don't need to uh, to add fuel to the fire of the uh, the coming robot apocalypse. You know, uh, they're they're going to look back on the year twenty twenty and they're going to say, you know, this is the year that the humans started hurting us. You know, <laughs> and and we give them the tools too to to you know fix themselves in battle like it's uh everything about this it's uh it's not smart i think that we we should we should shut it down yeah the, this is how you get skynet people like <laughs> this is exactly how it happens i know there's been 25 different versions of that story but like it always starts with the machine starting to think and one of the most important ways a person can think is by feeling pain and learning to avoid it so mm. no yeah. I, don't, I don't mind them focusing on the physical pain aspect yet, but it's it's the emotional pain that I think they need to put a little bit more research into. Do you do you guys know why Rob robots are always so sad? 
Oh why? God, I'm so scared to ask. But why, Chris? Why are robots so sad? Well, they they have hardware and they have software, but they don't have any underwear. <laughs> wow. I'm writing that one down. I'm going to use it on the nearest kid. <laughs> do, you, do you know why the robot holding a bowl of salsa was so sad? Because <laughs> they have hardware and software, but no underwear. That too. But they're all out of microchips. <laughs> this is what researchers need to start focusing on. Make robots happy again. <laughs> Then we never have to worry about Skynet. Well, that's about it for us today. We're taking next week off to head to Lake Placid for our first annual COVID vacation. So we'll see you in two weeks, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>